Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. All right, good morning again, everybody. Uh, Welcome to Coastal, everyone in person and online. Uh, Thanks for joining with us. We are in week two of our Christmas at Coastal series. Uh, My name is Ryan. If we haven't met before, uh, but we're going to go ahead and, and dive right on in uh, part two, talking about frankincense today. Uh, Matthew 2, 10 through 11 uh, says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right, so a little bit of context for you. Um, Pastor Chris gave it last week as well, but if you are new this week, uh, you don't uh, know the full story. Jesus was born in a little town uh, called Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod, right? And some wise men had traveled a a great distance in order to bring gifts to and worship Jesus. Uh, And as Pastor Chris mentioned last week, uh, while tradition tells us that there were uh, three wise men that came to see Jesus, uh, we don't actually know. It could have been more, uh, could have not. All we really know is that they were, in fact, wise men, Right, hence the name. They were highly educated and, and most likely very wealthy. Uh, and so reading it again, it said, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mother Mary. It says, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I just want to throw this out there. Uh, these were, again, wise men. Right, like literally the, the wisest of the men, and they knew they were going to see the Savior of the world. Right? And so they bought, brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In my mind, that would kind of set these gifts as like the standard for awesome gifts when someone has a baby, right? right I have two daughters. Um, we actually just had our second. She's about three months old. Um, so it was recent, and I know you don't really get gifts for the second child, which is cool. But with neither of my daughters did we get any gold, right, any frankincense or any kind of myrrh. I'm not going to say I was disappointed or anything, but, you know, we got a lot of clothes, right? And for um, guys out there with daughters, this may just be uh, completely me and my ineptitude. Um, But it seems like a lot of girls' baby clothes are kind of the same, right? So what happens to us a lot is like we'll be in Target. So we're looking for a pair of pants, right, for my oldest daughter. We're looking for 3T pants, Right? My wife will pick them up and be like, these are cute, right? And I'm like, sure, yeah, they look cute. And then I'll pick up, in my mind, it was like basically the same pair of pants, right? like in different colors, something. And I'm like, these are, these are cute, right? She's like, no, those are ugly, those are, those are horrible. And I'll hold the pants up side by side, and I'm like, they're the same thing. Like, it makes no sense to me, right? I guess I just don't understand uh, girls' clothes or, or whatever that process is. Um, but one thing we did receive um, outside of clothes, and again, this is just another little tangent, um, but uh, something that's worth its weight in gold. Uh, for anybody that has kids, recent kids, grandparents, whatever, uh, you know about the nose Frida? The nose Frida, right? So we got one of these, and I remember, basically, if you don't know what it is, it's a little tube with a little filter in it, and it's got a hose and a mouthpiece, and you stick it up your kid's nose, and you literally suck the snot out of their nose. I remember, it's like the weirdest, we got it as a gift, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing, we'll never use this, I don't know what kind of people would get this as a gift, but I promise you, every time there's a cold, right, any, any little allergy, anything, even we go to the pediatrician, they're like, go ahead and, you know, suck the snot out of their nose. 
And somehow in the, with the, my first daughter, it became my job, right? When she's screaming and crying and, you know, shove the little tube up her nose and, and suck all the snot out. It's, it's horrible. But back to the point of all this was, Jesus got gold, we got a snot sucker, right? <laughs> That's the point. But, but what's cool is, so what turned out to be practical for us, I thought it was weird, it was practical, it's kind of the same way we view these other gifts, right? Actually, the gifts that the wise men brought, while we don't see the purpose really in them, um, they were actually incredibly practical and really deeply spiritual gifts um, in that day. Right, biblical scholars note how these gifts actually foreshadowed who and, and what Jesus uh, would be. Right, they were prophetic. And so Pastor Chris kind of went through these last week, but the gold, it was valuable, right? represents the kingship of Jesus. Myrrh represents Jesus as the, the suffering lamb of God. And then frankincense, which we are going to discuss uh, today, represents Jesus as our high priest. Right? Jesus, our high priest. And you can go ahead and, and write that down, but before we get too far into it, uh, I just want to kind of talk about what frankincense actually is. Right? So frankincense is a, it's kind of an all-purpose type oil. Um, it has antiseptic, astringent, diuretic, digestive, and sedative properties. Uh, back then it was used to help heal illnesses as well as treat wounds. And I'm the furthest thing um, from knowledgeable uh, in the uses of frankincense. Uh, what I just read to you was purely from Googling what is frankincense. I did not know much about it, so I'm sure you can find somebody who is, you know, much more knowledgeable about the essential oils subject. Uh, but what I know is that back then, the wise men brought it to Jesus. Um, it was expensive, it was an oil, uh, and it was practical for its ability to heal and treat. Um, another cool fact, it was also used by the priests of the day during uh, sacrifices, right? So they would, they would burn the oil and, it, oil and it would create smoke uh, that would ascend to heaven uh, and it would represent the prayers of people ascending in faith to Jesus, right? And this is why, this is why people or biblical scholars agree that the frankincense represents, is prophetic of the priestliness of Jesus, hence Jesus our high priest, Right, so Jesus as the high priest, a little more context for you. Uh, the priest in Scripture uh, served kind of one primary role broken down into two jobs. Right, so essentially the priest was the representative of the people before God and again would perform two jobs within that. The first is that the priest would make sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. Right, so as a priest, they would make an, an animal sacrifice as atonement uh, for all the sins of the people. The second was that the priests would pray prayers on behalf of the people to God. Right? So the two functions were essentially sacrifices and prayers. And so if that's the job of the priest, sacrifice and prayer, and we're stating that Jesus is our high priest, uh, let's look at it from that angle, starting with sacrifice. You know, if you look back ever since uh, the beginning, ever since, ever since Eve uh, sinned against God in the garden, uh, there's essentially been two forces fighting against each other, right? There's the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, right? Now, today, uh, a lot of times sin, uh, the definition of sin almost becomes kind of uh, subjective, right? Sometimes people's definition of sins are different than other people's definitions of sin. Uh, sometimes it gets watered down so much because people just don't like uh, being called out for their sins. And then a lot of times, 
you know, people become so lackadaisical in calling out sin uh, for what it is. Right, so people don't want to be, you know, they don't want to be held to the standard that is in. They don't want to, they want to be called out for their stuff. Right, but here's the thing. We have to understand the reality of sin because, again, there is holiness and there is sinfulness. And if we don't understand the holiness of God, we will always have a casual approach to sin. But right, if we don't understand the holiness of God, we'll always have a casual approach to sin. Until we understand and embrace what the holiness of God means, we will never understand the cost and tragedy of sin and what it is, uh, what it does to us. Right, so if we go back, that was the simplest, we go to God is holy, what does holy mean? Right, what is the holiness of God? It actually comes from the Greek word hagios, which means separate or other. Right, so what is God? God is transcendently separate, right? Our God is, is perfect in every way. He is flawless, uh, he is pure, he is without mistakes or faults. His holiness is the perfection of all of his attributes, right? His power is holy, his grace is holy, his mercy is holy, his glory is holy. And it is his holiness, right, his purity, his separateness because of perfection that makes him worthy of our praise. Right, scripture teaches us that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. And it is this sin, or this falling short of the standard that actually separates us from God. Right, I know this is fundamental and you know, taking it back to, to Genesis, but he created us together. Right? We were with him in the garden no sin. We, we, we did sin. Adam and Eve sinned. So now we're separated. We can no longer be with God. And that is why God hates sin. Right? Sin breaks our intimacy with the holy God. It's everything he is and it's the opposite of holiness. It disrupts our fellowship with him and ultimately breaks down our life and who we are in him. And if you look back in the Old Testament... Uh, one time a year, the priests would make a, a sacrifice to God as a temporary payment uh, for the sins of people. It was known as the Day of Atonement. Right, so the priests would sacrifice an innocent animal, and they would go into the tabernacle, into a place called the Holy of Holies, and they would light the frankincense, right? And so the smoke would rise up, representing the prayers, uh, the cries of mercy ascending up to heaven from God's people. And then the priest would take the blood of, of the animal and sprinkle it on the, the mercy seat, symbolizing the death, death of an innocent one in the place uh, of the guilty one as payment for sins. Right, you've heard of the term scapegoat. Right, that'd be where this comes from. The priest would take the goat and he would he'd confess the sins of the people, basically you know, place the sins onto the goat as a vessel, and then they'd actually drive the goat out into the woods or uh, the wilderness or sometimes even off of a cliff. Basically, it was just this representation of this first animal paying the price of the sins of the rest of the people. And so symbolically, the scapegoat was taken away from the community, taken away, uh, taking away the sins of the people, away from those people and away from God. But if you think about it, 
like the whole process. If you think about it, it seems maybe a little bit uh, unfair. I don't know if it seems that way to you. But I think that's when we look at it from a, a lens of Jesus as this like, you know, hippie, flowing hair, children and sheep and rainbows uh, kind of God. What you have to understand is that God is a just God. Right? He's completely just, therefore, he must punish sin. Right? But God is not only just, he's also merciful. And so this sacrifice, it satisfies God's justice while at the same time extending mercy. Right? So the sacrifice satisfies God's justice and extends mercy. Think about it again, the price, the price for my sins is paid, right? The price for your sins are paid, but someone else pays it. So that his holiness, his justice, it's satisfied, yet he extends mercy to the people that he loves, his children, you and me. Again, I know what you're thinking. I, I thought it too. Right? So it's a raw deal for the goat, right? Goat didn't do anything. But this was a temporary covering under the old covenant in the Old Testament. Right? You have to know we're, we're not under the old covenant anymore. That doesn't, that doesn't work anymore. Right? If you go sacrifice a goat and then sprinkle its blood somewhere, we're probably going to see you on the news in jail as a cult leader or, or something like that. Right, so let me tell you about the new covenants. It's, it's pretty cool. Hebrews 10, 10 through 12. It tells us, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. It says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again. It says, which can never take away sins. Can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, right, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Good for all time. Then it says he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Right, it's no longer temporary. Jesus, as the high priest, offered his life gave up his body, his blood, as permanent payment for our sins. He did it so that his, his justice and holiness could be satisfied once and for all, once for all time. But he did it while extending mercy to all his people. Because, see, the problem is once, you know, once we sinned, right, that's who we are. Right, we, don't, we don't just sin once. We're not that good. We sin over and over, day after day. I work, we, were, you know, we were created without sin. In the garden, we gave in to sin, and now we are sinful people. And we already mentioned how, how God can't be close to sin. Right? He can't be. And so the question is, how does he look at us now? How is he with us now? Right, the Bible says he basically took his own clothes and put them onto us, put them over us. The Bible talks all the time about being, you know, like clothed in righteousness. Isaiah 61 says, you know, for, or he clothed me with garments of salvation. He clothed me with a robe of righteousness. Right? He covered us with his righteousness, his salvation, his holiness, so that when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. 
Right? He doesn't see our, our sinful nature, but again, his righteousness and his holiness. And our high priest who gave his life simultaneously satisfying justice and extending mercy. It's cool because it, it really gives a full picture of who God is. But here's the best part. I, like, I guess Jesus made the sacrifice. He paid the price. He clothed us in his righteousness. But the cool thing is he didn't just do it once and then leave, right? He's not a, he's not a distant savior, a God up in the clouds that sent down his son because he feels sorry for us. But he is with us. He understands us and he cares for us daily. Scripture says in uh, Hebrews 4, 14 through 15, it says, so then, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has entered heaven, says Jesus, the son of God, again, since we have him, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Right? This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. It doesn't say that he faced a couple, he faced one or two of them. It says he faced all of the same testings and he didn't give in. I hope you're just able to understand and embrace that today. Right? Whatever you're going through, whatever struggles and temptations you face, whatever life throws at you, he understands Right? He went through them too. He relates to us. He sympathizes with our pain. You know, if, if you feel stressed today, if you feel uh, depressed or worried or anxious or overwhelmed, God understands. Right? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, and his, his friends had abandoned him, and he knew what was coming. He knew the, the pain and the torture and the full-on abandonment was coming. He fell to the ground and cried out, my soul is overwhelmed. Right? He was in agony. If you face anxiety, he understands. Right? If you're filled with, with fear for any reason, he knows and he understands. If you've been abandoned or hurt he knows, right? His own friends, his family gave him up for death. Right? Jesus told his family friends, he said, I'm the Messiah. They said, you're crazy. Right? We're not going down for you. We have to know how much Jesus understands and relates to us to then understand how much he cares for each and every one of us. Think about this. I know you've probably heard this before, but Jesus right? The son of God, he's to be born on earth. He could have been born uh, to a king and, and queen, a wealthy, well-off baby that has everything, right? He could have been given every resource, every advantage. I think most of us would want that for our kids. But no, the son of God, the savior of the world, the one who is already destined to pay the price, you know, for all of us, he wasn't given anything. Right? You think he doesn't understand your hardships, your situations, just because he's Jesus. He, Jesus, the king like no other, was born out of wedlock to a teenage girl and teenage father. Right? He was raised in a small town where everyone whispered and, and gossiped about him and called him a bastard child. He lived in poverty. 
He was criticized, he was ridiculed, he was bullied. He was tempted by the devil himself over and over again when he was at his weakest. Yet he didn't give in. Had Jesus experienced the deaths of friends and family? He was accused of doing things he didn't do. His own friends and family betrayed him when he needed them most. And worst all, if you think about this, right? He was hanging on the cross, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, crown of thorns on his head. And if you read the Bible, it says that he felt abandoned by God. I think about that, after being abandoned, tortured, beaten, he has to deal with the feeling like, like his own father, the God of the universe, has abandoned him. He hadn't, but he felt that way because when our Savior... Right? When Jesus was, was, was up on the cross and he took the payment for our sins, he became sin. Right? He was sin at that time. And so his father turned away from him. And why is that again? We already talked about how you know, God can't look upon sin. He's too holy to, to be in sin. And so Jesus cried out in agony, hanging on the cross. He said, my God, where are you? Just imagine how heartbreaking that would be. Right, so if you've ever felt abandoned, if you've ever felt abandoned by God, or like you couldn't reach the presence of God, or you can't feel him or see him, or you feel like he's just turned away from you, Jesus knows that feeling intimately. Right, whatever you feel now, he, he's felt. Whatever you hurt with today, he's hurt too. Right, like he's not sitting up in heaven Right, looking at you and, and you going through all your struggles and just going, eh, you know, sucks to suck. I'm Jesus, you're you. Like, you know, he's our God, he's our high priest who has experienced all the pain of the world, all the pain of, of being in a human body, all the rejection and anxiety and agony of feeling alone, of hurting. And our God, our, our high priest, again, imagine this, look at the details of who he is. Right, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. Right, like our God, born in the form of a poor, a rejected child, and a stable to unmarried teenage parents. But He's a Savior that, that understands and loves you and cares about you. He's a God that sent wise men with gifts to prophetically declare the nature of Jesus to come. Right again, gold, he's, he's our king. Myrrh, our, our suffering servant, the lamb of God. And frankincense, our high priest, who would be sacrificed for our sins and pray prayers to our God in heaven on our behalf. Keep going in Hebrews uh, 4, verse 16. It says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Right? Come boldly, come boldly because he understands you. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. And it says, when we come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive his mercy. Again, why? Because his justice has already been satisfied. So if we come boldly to him, we receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Right? You see, you can come to him today. You can come to him just as you are, you can come boldly. You don't have to be scared 
or timid when you come to him. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to say certain things, you know, when you come to him, right? Because we are children of God. Again, if you have kids or, or you've even seen how kids act, you know they come boldly, right? Again, my two daughters, my three-year-old, come up to me as boldly as she possibly can. She'll ask for anything she wants at any time. And she'll do it with the confidence of like tr- being truly in charge, right? It can be 10 o'clock at night and somehow she's weaseled her way out of bedtime and comes to me and says, I want to go to the playground and eat ice cream. And she will be absolutely shocked when I tell her no, right? Like she fully expected it to happen. And why is that? It's because, because I'm her father and, and she trusts me. She knows I'm a little bit of a pushover, but not that much. But still, she comes boldly because I am her dad. I'm a father, and I I love her, and and you can do the same, right? We can come to him boldly. We can take your requests to him. You can take him your concerns. You can take him uh, your struggles and your worries. You can give it all to him. He is the high priest. He is the king. He is the suffering, sacrificial lamb. He is our savior. He knows us. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. And he understands because he's been there. He's felt it. He has been through it, and he doesn't just cast your issues off. He sympathizes with you. He loves you. He wants to help you. He is there for you. We just have to trust him. And so we just have to come to him. You know, again, whether you know him and, and have a relationship with him or you're doing so for the, for the first time today, you go to him and say, you know, God, I'm afraid or, or I'm hurting, right? He's your provider who meets all of your needs according to, to his own you know, glory and riches in heaven. If you're hurting emotionally, you cast your fears on him. He's your comforter, right? He's hurt like you. If, you, if you're hurting physically, right, he has known pain. He has known unimaginable pain, and he sympathizes with you. If you're just tired, if you're overwhelmed, and you're just beaten down and and broken, Jesus is your strength. He understands that in our weakness, his strength is made complete. We just have to call out to him. And so for those that are ready to do so today, I just want you to know, again, Jesus is there for you. The high priest, the holy God, the king like no other, was innocent in every single way, right? He had never sinned, and therefore he could give his life to satisfy justice and extend mercy to you. And this is why the gospel means good news. It's Jesus, a God who loved us so much that he was born as one of us, right, who gave his life for us. He died and rose again so that no matter what we have done, right, no matter how bad it had been, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Right, his mercy, his forgiveness, right? We are made right with God, not through ourselves, but through Jesus and his sacrifice his being able to pay it all once and for all for every one of us. We just have to call out to him. So let's pray for that this morning. 
Father God, we just um, thank you for, for loving us so much. God, we thank you for loving us so much that you would send down your son from heaven, this, you know, this, the gloriousness of heaven, you'd send him to earth to be born in a manger to, to unmarried teenage parents, to live in poverty and be ridiculed and, and bullied and you know, to spend his life, his ministry, trying to bring people to you, God. And we thank you that you would send him down to, to, to be up on that cross, to be nailed to that cross for our sins, to pay the price once and for all. God, we thank you that it's not something we have to do day after day. We don't have to sacrifice anything. You know, we don't have to you know, have a priest make sacrifice for us day after day at the altar. But God, you've already paid the price. All we have to do is come to you. We just have to come to you and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm ready. I know what you did for me. I know the sacrifices that you made for me. I'm ready to call you Lord of my life, my Savior. Let's anyone that can do that today, just pray that, you know, if that's you and you're ready, you do call out to him just like that. But, you know, maybe you already have called out to him, you have a relationship with him. God, this morning I pray that every single person here knows that they can cast everything they have onto you. All of their fears, all of their worries, all of their struggles, you are big enough to handle everything. God, your strength is made complete in our weakness. Help us to know that and remember that day after day, no matter what we go through no matter how we're tempted or what life throws at us, God, that we can look to you for strength and comfort and peace. God, just help us to remember that. Help us to show that so well that people around us have no, you know, no option but to stop and go, what is different with this person? How are they able to handle this? How are they able to deal with these things? And we can show them it's you. God, help us to do that this week. Thank you again for just the opportunity to gather and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.